everybody, this is Sean. This is Kevin. And we have a fantastic episode of Shot by Shot for you today. We have Black Monday Murders alumnus and artist and co-creator, Mr. Tom Coker. So Kevin, you've been working with Tom for a very long time. Yeah, Tom and I um, first met around the time he was already in comics, but getting ready to direct his first feature film, which was a Lionsgate film called Catacombs. And we met at Comic-Con and uh, asked him to do an episode or his own issue of The Ride. And he was already a fan, so we just kind of hit it off and have been working with him as much as possible ever since. So he's done three ride stories, one uh, actually this past year, and um, you know, just an all around incredibly talented guy. And a maestro of black and white art. He's an expert at using contrast to heighten drama. Oh yeah, I and mean, his stuff's amazing. And the transformation that, that he's taken over the years to just, just really hone his craft, it's really impressive to watch. And uh, I, I've enjoyed every new story for many years now. And also this is an especially inebriated episode with lots of talk about alcohol, ciders, and uh, iced tea, as the bulk of our hosts are indeed from the South. Yeah, sweet tea, sweet tea. What did I say, yeah. iced tea? Yeah, yes, it's sweet tea down here. I am, I am signifying my Midwestern nature, but yes, sweet tea, which you add baking soda or vanilla to, correct? Right, to okay. get the bitterness out. We'll get into that. All right, everybody, here's Tom. Hey everybody, this is Sean. This is Kevin. Uh, this is Brian. And uh, here we are with the lovely Mr. Tom Coker. How's it going, man? Lovely. Lovely. Uh, <laughs> so we got to start this off. What's everybody drinking right now? I am drinking, listeners know, I'm, I'm an Alabama guy. And so I'm drinking a, a home brew or a home state brew called Clyde Mays Straight Bourbon Whiskey. And, and I also, we'll, we'll tweet this out, but uh, in honor of Tom Coker, I got a gigantic, well, it's all, it's kind of melting now, but it was a gigantic skull in my glass. <laughs> a gigantic ice cube skull in my glass. So, nice. <laughs> cheers. We are on brand tonight. I just finished yeah. the whiskey, I don't know, Woodford Reserve or something like that. Single barrel, scrape the paint off your carburetor. And oh, now man. I'm having um, an Uzo, which Whoa. everybody hates, but I love. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely love it. That's that's Tom Coker against the grain. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what exactly is in an ouzo for those of us who are uh, less distinguished? Um, ouzo is an Eddie's um, liquor, so it's like uh, black licorice. Uh, yeah, and so it kind of like tastes like Pernod or, or or absinthe or or you know that kind of world of stuff, but it's not quite as horrible as those are. It's sure. horrible, but in its own way. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I've I've tried absinthe, and uh, man, that stuff is disgusting. In fact, I think I tried it like twenty something years ago, and I can still <laughs> taste it. Uzo is not that, but it is in that realm. It's in the arena of, of it has that licorice flavor, but you get it cold enough, and it tastes awesome. Oh, okay. Okay. It's like shrimp. And, Best sort yes. of cold. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and, and Brian, are we on the tea train or are we going specifically into the coffee? 
Uh, now we're we're on the T train tonight, um, and uh, and it's nothing really super special. It's just a, a a very common green tonight. Okay, nice antioxidants, nice and healthy. I've been listening. I'm the designated podcast. driver tonight. I've been listening to your previous podcast. I know that you drink tea, Brian, and and I make sweet tea every other day or something like that. Oh, and, nice. and now at this point, I just I, all I do is I think about Brian Stelfreeze when I'm making sweet tea. I'm like, what kind of tea Brian would use for a sweet tea? I wonder. If, I wonder if Brian even drinks sweet tea. So <laughs> yeah, I grew up in the South, so that's uh, that's required drinking. Yeah, that's where my family's from. So well, I had to ask. You said sweet tea, and I lived in Atlanta, but I'm really a Midwesterner, and so I assumed automatically anyone who says the word sweet tea is from the South. Are you a southerner? No, my I, I was born and raised in Northern California, but my family is from uh, Mississippi and Louisiana, and uh, oh. and, and I lived in uh, Mississippi for I don't know, when I was little, 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 um, in a little teeny weeny town called Newton, Mississippi. Wow, I did not know that. I've known you all these years. I had no idea you had southern roots. Don't we all? when i moved to new york i went to some restaurant like the first week there you know the first night out or something like yeah you know i'd like some sweet tea and the waitress looked at me like what are you talking about what's sweet tea i have no idea that that people didn't drink it outside of the southeast whenever i go to a restaurant that has sweet tea on the menu i'm just like i mean i will literally grab my wife by the shoulder and say they have sweet tea like it's uh, (laughs) it's one of those things I I jonesed for sweet tea so bad I would walk like six blocks to a Kenny Rogers Roasters (laughs) to get sweet tea oh man (laughs) on on tap was it on tap so you get like 48 ounce cup yes exactly Mm, that's the good stuff yeah oh man good times do 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 you make sweet tea we we do, but now there's a it's a it's a very Alabama thing, but it's like uh, apparently going nationwide. We have the sweet tea called Milo's. It's a burger joint that's been in the. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It started in Birmingham, like when my dad my dad used to work uh, in downtown Birmingham in like the I don't know 70s, 60s, and uh, there was this little burger joint called Milo's, and they make the best sweet tea because they use like real cane sugar. They started bottling the stuff. And, uh, you know, like putting it in gallon jugs and sell it in the grocery stores. And next thing you know, it was in Walmart and everywhere. And uh, I, I could be wrong, but I believe Walmart may have bought the company. So now it's in like nationwide. It is crack in a gallon jug. I'll have to check it out. Oh, yeah, it's, it's good stuff. It's, it's got a logo that looks like somebody's cousin designed it. But uh, <laughs> Yes. That's exactly it's what happened. It's really yeah. awesome. Yeah. It's always a cousin. It's never a brother or a sister or something. It's always the fucking cousin who designed the shitty logo. <laughs> yeah. A friend of, uh, an L.A. friend had uh, had moved to Nashville. Uh, she was writing on a show, uh, a TV show. Uh, I'm friends with the, with, the, with the people that were that were making the show and friends with hers. It was kind of a cool thing. But So she calls me up and she says, what the fuck is this Milo's tea that everybody's talking about? Everybody's like, get some Milo's, get some Milo's. Like, who drinks sweet tea? I'm like, just next time you're at the, because she was here for like six weeks. I'm like, buy a gallon of it and just drink a glass. You'll see. And so she texts me at like three in the morning. I've drank the whole gallon. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, I just wonder because wow. I, I have friends who make sweet tea and they don't use baking soda in it. I mean, if you don't use baking soda, it doesn't taste like sweet tea. Like it gets, cause you can have all the baking soda cuts all the bitter out of the, out of the tea. So it's just sweet. Um, oh man, that's, 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 that's kind of odd because uh, for my family, it was always a uh, vanilla extract. It kind of has the same effect. It gets rid of uh, that, that extra bitter, you know, cause the, the, the amount of tea that you're brewing, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like I knew the vanilla extract. I didn't know baking soda. So you know, if you wow. just put a if you just put a pinch of baking soda in it when it's hot, it will give you. Uh, it it's it just becomes something different. Wow. So that's it, it must be a mis silky. Mississippi thing. It is a Mississippi thing, yeah. Or Mississippi, <laughs> Arkansas, I guess. Yeah. 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 Cool. Well, things I didn't think we'd be talking about tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's shot by shot. Even if it's tea, which apparently Sweet this is tea, becoming yeah. a tea podcast. <laughs> yeah, the, the South is in the house. <laughs> <laughs> so now that we've got the tea out of the way, wait, Sean, uh, Sean Edgar, what are you drinking? No one has ever asked me in the course of our five or six episodes what I've been drinking. Really? So, so Kevin, I salute you. Cheers. <laughs> I am... Oh, also, I'll say that because you had the Corona, we we weren't you know, we weren't really gonna find out. What, we were just glad you were awake and alive. No, no, no. I, I had the Corona followed by bronchitis. So most of the time, I was drinking Lacroix. I, I just tried to sound cool, but right. oh man! But I am doing Incline Cider Company Blood Orange, which is I think a local Portland uh, cider. Uh, it's very refreshing. Yep. It's very chill. And not quite as sweet. So I'm a fan of that degree of uh, alcohol you can just kind of coast with right now. Yeah. Man, I tell you, I love, when I went to Portland a couple of years ago, uh, I went up and, and visited the image office. And uh, that's the first time I really had ciders because everybody there drinks ciders, kind of like we drink sweet tea. And uh, yes. I was I was in love with the ciders. Now here, if I go to a bar and order cider, I might get my ass beat. Um, so. <laughs> right, but you get like Jolly Rancher shit, right? Like if you order at a bar, you get like a, you get something that's going to be like super sweet. Right. Yeah. Know, they don't like angry orchard or some shit like that. Yeah, budget, right? yeah. That's it. They don't have ciders down here. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm envious of your cider because Tony Shastine was like, you haven't tried ciders. We went to lunch and uh, like the first day I was there and we started ordering these, you know, different ciders and, like I was, I, I don't even remember dinner because we drank from lunch until I had to make my next thing. And I was drinking those ciders. So that's some good stuff. Wait, I have wow. to pump this and like go back to the Southern aspect. Brian, you're still in Atlanta, aren't you? Oh yeah. Brian, have you been to the brick store? Brick, no, I have not been to the brick store. The brick store in Decatur is the best place for ciders and beers, especially Belgians I have ever been to when oh, I lived wow. in Atlanta. So, so I didn't know, when did you live in Atlanta? So I worked for Pace Magazine for 10 years and I started out doing an internship. So after I got my uh, journalism degree from undergrad, which is always an amazing decision, I uh, headed down to Atlanta <laughs> and lived there for a couple of years. Not fair wow. at all. Yeah. And I, I was very impoverished, but whatever money I made, I spent at the brick store. Wow. Oh, man. Okay. Atlanta's a good place to be if you're poor, man. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, well, Brian, next time I'm in Atlanta, we're going there so that I can have some ciders. And Sean, right. if you're if you like cider, Sean, and uh, the Northwest up there, try Scrumpy. 
Scrumpy is a type of cider. Yeah. And it's like, it's the driest. It's like you almost have to have a drink with it because it's so dry. Like it, it'll make you parched almost, but it's like the most amazing. It's just apples and nature. There's nothing, and water. There's nothing else in it. And it's fantastic. And it's fucking strong. Oh, I'm down. That sounds amazing. Do they just sell it like at random bars or? There's a couple of guys up in in uh, Oregon and Washington that make it and see so you have to track. Uh, I'll see if I can. I have an email for one of them. I'll see if I can track down who they are or like send you a link or something. But uh, but they sell it there in that area. They won't ship it though because it, go, it doesn't have any preservatives. Right. Oh, nice. And so it can go bad. Keeping it pure. Well, it's, yeah. it's funny because I'm doing this entire thing with, you know, the pandemic, which is going out to ghost towns and taking pictures. But I've been trying to find alcohol that would complement that experience. Scrumpy sounds like it might be a good deal for that. Anything called Scrumpy complements any experience. <laughs> like, it, I mean, who the fuck named something Scrumpy? Like, yeah, that, that sounds like desolation right there. Man. Scrumpy <laughs> sounds like something you need antibiotics to cure in 1750s. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like you're on the boat, you're like, all right, Scrumpy. <laughs> What's the matter? Are you any deathbed? I got the Scrumpies. Scrumpy spread among the crew. <laughs> I hope she was worth it. Arg. <laughs> Oh my god. I, I think we peaked already. This this We're podcast, already off the rails. There's no yeah. way you could edit this out. <laughs> oh my god. Should we should it, we it, should we start talking about comics or are you just gonna keep on going? Yeah. Let's talk about comics. I just have to go one one quick aside is when you talk about Taco Mac is a is a superhero or whatever. Is it Mac or Mac? M A C Oh, I think yeah. you said M-E-C, like M-E-C-K-H. Like, I was like, a Taco Mech would be the most amazing, like, Star Blazer ship ever. <laughs> yeah, we, my family, we just watched the Peanut Butter Falcon. Have any of you guys seen that? No, is it uh, good? No, no. It's, it is a fantastic little little movie. Uh, Shia LaBeouf yeah. uh, starred and directed with Dakota Johnson. Oh, is that his and, life story thing? No, this is a different one. This, it came okay. out at the same time. Uh, but he he befriends in the small little town in like Louisiana or South Carolina, so it's like a coastal area. But he he kind of but you know, it's, it's basically Huckleberry Finn updated. It's this guy with Down syndrome, and they go on this like he's try, he escapes impoverished area, and he gets his family dies, and they put him in an old folks home, although he's like a teenager because they don't have anywhere else to put him. And Dakota Johnson is kind of his t- caretaker. And he's a he's a huge fan of wrestling, and he's got these uh, he's got a VCR and these old wrestling tapes of this great wrestler who would be kind of like Ric Flair, uh, oh, in wow. this, you know, r- real world. And and this wrestling character and, and he's got these videotapes from the '90s. And this guy was offering a wrestling school on the videotapes, so he wants to go be a professional wrestler. So he escapes from the old folks' home, and he hooks up with Sh- Shia LaBeouf's character, who is kind of this. Um, you know, just a local do nothing kind of guy, and he's on he's on the run. So they hook up together, and it's very Huckleberry Finn. But uh, at, at one point, you know, like halfway through the movie, I'm, I'm not really ruining it, but it is a cool scene where he declares himself the Peanut Butter Falcon is his wrestling name. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. 
It's a great movie, though. You should really, like, it, it's worth watching. Is uh, it on Netflix? I, I, no, I, I, we bought it on iTunes or rented okay. it on iTunes. Uh, my kids, I've got three kids. Uh, they're all older now, but, you know, as today's kids are, they're all, like, hyperactive all the time because they're playing video games and yeah. whatnot. All the, but they all three sat and watched this this movie and uh as a family like that's a big deal like nobody got in a fight nobody was throwing popcorn at each other they're all engrossed and it's it's a really cool flick so i, I highly recommend it but uh yeah taco mac check and, it out taco mac and peanut butter falcon I yeah see that. that would be a death cage match <laughs> <laughs> who would win I, I, my money's on taco mac i don't yeah. know man because you know like all that peanut butter clogging up those tacos <laughs> <laughs> it would overpower it. Yeah. Oh, dude, have you guys? Okay, so speaking of peanut butter and and then a meat thing and taco, have you guys ever had peanut butter hamburgers? No, no, no. Oh no. my god! The yeah. next time you have a hamburger and you're gonna think it's the weirdest thing in the world, but just take out a little thing of chunky peanut butter and just put a like a healthy portion on. It's the best thing you'll ever have. Wow. I'm, not, I'm not sure if I can follow you. Uh, I, I'm, I'm suspicious of your pamphlets. <laughs> um, no, I'm telling you, it is the uh, it, it's the Jiffy Burger. Just have a Jiffy Burger. It is the greatest thing in the world. So wow. that's that's okay. the last thing I'll say about culinary. Uh, yeah, you're from you're living in Atlanta. You haven't had a Jiffy Burger? No, no, man. Okay, well. Heard of this? Yeah, that's that's pretty scary. I'm gonna try it, and and I'm going to praise or curse you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my my pretentious grilling uh, self is like, oh my god. But uh, but you I'm ever totally... have Thai food where you have like a spring roll with a peanut butter a peanut dip? That's a decent yeah, point. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay. Okay. Like I got gotcha. And it's just, gotcha. but it, it melts because it's hot, you know, and it becomes like it's the greatest thing in the world. But Jiffy, Peter Pan, like those, like the cheaper the peanut butter, the better. Oh yeah, Peter Pan. Yeah, the, yeah, the um, a lot of the Thai places I go, you know, they they don't call it peanut butter, but there's a lot of like peanut buttery type stuff, and uh, yeah, and that's always good. So from from thinking of it from that angle, I'm like, oh, okay, that that might be something. <laughs> it's a, it's a wonderful thing. So. Yeah, but, right. I, but I yeah. promise you, when I try it, you will hear <laughs> <laughs> this loud sound coming from Atlanta. <laughs> I picture like Brian, like in a manga empowerment energy surge. <laughs> yes, Captain Kirk. Take the form of Taco Mac. And I'll form the head. Yes, exactly. I'll form the cheese. We've never gone off the rails. Thirty minutes in, and we're completely so, off the rails, and haven't even talked about a comic. So, book. so Tom, do you like comic books? I, I, I absolutely love comic books. Comic, in my opinion, comic books are the best, the ultimate storytelling form format uh, for visual storytelling. So, tell me a little bit about how you got immersed in it. Were you reading them as a kid? When I was a little kid, uh, my parents would—they had a big RV, and every time there was any more than a regular weekend, like three days or, or God forbid it was spring break or something, we would get in this RV and just drive anywhere. And, uh, and we'd eventually get somewhere where there was stuff to see. But in the meantime, for hours and hours and hours, I was in this 
RV with nothing to do. This is before, you know, there was no TV. There was, my dad didn't listen to the radio when he drove. So it was just essentially me in a moving home with nothing to do. And I had comic books. And, uh, and so I would just sit there and once I got bored of reading them, I started drawing them. That was like gold key, like Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny kind of stuff. And when I turned about seven or eight, I guess, a friend of my father's gave him a box of comics that he had in his attic. And this must have been 78, 79, 80, somewhere in there. And my dad just passed them on to me. And what that box contained was essentially every issue of Creepy and Eerie and Vampirella and a bunch of like Lombo Day. What else? Um, like Tales from the Crypt or the Tales, uh, what's the one, the vault or? Uh, dude, that's that's some perfectly curated stuff right there, man. Yeah, yeah it was just all magazine size, black and white, you know, Savage Sword and stuff like that. And uh, my dad never bothered to look at any of it. I was about to say, this is not age appropriate. And so, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I went from like, you know, gold key, like Mickey Mouse and Daffy Duck stuff to, to <laughs> Von Baudet Cheech Wizard. And it looks like a comic book, but there's tits. And there's, yeah. and, and Von Baudet can, I mean, I still think his inks are some of the best inks I've ever seen. Um, that's, oh yeah, that's, that's like going from your first date in high school to a prop porn star. I mean, yes. like, yeah. <laughs> you didn't pass go. You didn't even collect two hundred dollars. It was just like wow. Yeah, and and I still look at. I mean, I I have, I think I have the first hundred or so issues of creepy and um, most of the eerie stuff and and Vampirella, but um, I, I don't think. I know everybody talks about EC and they talk about the other books that were done prior to that. But as far as my world is concerned, the the first 40 or 50 issues of creepy um, when you had, you know, you had Archie Goodwin writing everything uh, and your bullpen was essentially like Toth and Wrightson, uh, oh, Angela yeah. Torres and Al Williamson. And, you know, and then later that I think their Filipino guys came in, Nina would pop up and, and even had some early, early, had some Neil Adams stuff and whatever. I don't think there's ever been a comic better than that. Because they were punchy, because you had, you know, Archie Goodman writing everything. So you had these little five, six, seven, eight page stories with amazing black and white illustration. Ditko did some stuff for them. I don't, I don't know if you went through this, but uh, but something that was sort of odd is is like, as as a kid, I, I always read comic books. I always kind of got into comic books. But I never considered the stuff in comics to be art. You know, it was just stories until yeah. I got the big black and white books. When when I got the big black and white books, for some reason, a light went off in my head. And I kind of thought, oh, people draw these. <laughs> you know, but I, I had the same exact I, I impression. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, well, and also like, because you have that, you have like that newsprint paper. They know it's going to be printed in black and white. Um, I don't know what the page rate was if they were getting paid a little more to do the war and stuff because because their art always seemed to shine a little bit more on that stuff. I mean, even yeah, someone yeah. as amazing as Toth, who is uh, who who is essentially unimpeachable throughout his career, but his war and stuff is just a little bit better. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. Because he knows yeah. it's going to be black and white, and is what I think. And so I did that, and then eventually. Uh, the next thing that happened, and so, and I, at a certain point, I realized that all the books I was looking at were old when I was looking at them, 
and I could still find a creepy or I could still find an eerie coming out and heavy metal started. So um, that was a big influence. But then uh, a comic book shop opened up near me um, and I walked in and I picked up uh, Asgard Wars, Asgardian Wars by Art Adams. And I was like, oh my God. Oh, he wow. Must, he must be at least 40 years old to be able to draw this good. Like <laughs> he must be ancient because I was probably like, 10 or 11 or something like that. And uh, Art Adams was like my gateway drug to to Marvel. Was it just so crushingly disappointing to find out how young that guy was? Oh my God, I went to a show. My, I think it was maybe my, it was my second con because I was a big fan of Alien Legion. And oh, uh, yeah. My, yeah. my first convention I went because um, Frank Sirocco was the guest. But my second convention was, um, I was probably 14 and uh, Art Adams was the guest. And I remember I, I was standing over, like over his left shoulder, kind of like a little bit back of the table so I could watch him draw commissions and stuff. And um, first of all, just seeing how young he was, I was like, this guy has a superpower. You can't draw this well at that age. <laughs> And then at a certain point, I'd been just just literally zoned out staring at him draw. Because when I drew as a kid, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I still didn't have the time to know what the fuck I'm doing. But, but he just looked like everything he was doing was on purpose. And I didn't understand that. And so I'm watching him kind of just in this, like, it was like a Stargate kind of like, a, you know, 2001 experience. Where I'm just like, what's happening here? And... He looked back at me and in an affected voice, <laughs> I remember it scared the shit out of me, but he said, <laughs> he said, kid, you're bothering me. And I was like, <laughs> I was crushed. I mean, I might as well have like, just like started crying and ran off into the crowd or something. But uh, it, watching him draw, the only other person I could ever equate it to was watching Kevin Nolan draw. Where oh yeah yeah they would they, they their hands not moving very much but then a line would go down and you're like oh that's the right line yeah like that he put the he just waited until the correct line made itself apparent and he, then he just put it down yeah well you know I, I remember um, I was a kid and I picked up long shot uh, at a at a gas station yeah and uh, and just flipped through it and I I thought man this is just this is amazing. Whoever this Art Adams guy is, he's my new favorite. And uh, yeah. and then years, literally decades later, when I actually met him at a convention, I realized he's maybe two or three years older than I am. And I, I made the realization of, oh, the age that I was when I bought this was probably the same age he was when he drew it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh my god! And, and it was just—it was just devastating. Yeah, I wasn't. <laughs> see, I, I thank God I'm younger because I wouldn't have been able to recover from that. I would have been like, oh, <laughs> it was, "It's <laughs> over." It was. It was. It was <laughs> and, uh, and I, I tell you something else that's uh, that's funny is um is the uh, the first time I met Kevin Nolan. Uh, he came over to the uh, to the studio, and this is when we were doing Gaijin Studios, 
and uh, and we're just kind of hanging out. And he had the Man Thing book that he had done. The originals. And, uh, and I, yeah, he had the originals, and uh, and I was just like, oh my god, this is fucking show This off. is this is this <laughs> is it. I can get hit by a car after this. And yeah. uh, and he's and he's flipping through, and one of the things that I think is so brilliant about Kevin is his his color. It's just so His color is breathtaking. Oh, it's so sublime. And and the man thing stuff was like to me just way beyond anything that I'd ever and, seen. And it was a massive transition for him as far as like Oh yeah, yeah. Going it's, from like that outsider stuff to, to the Outsider's Annual, whatever that, that, that book was. Yeah, and it's and it's unbelievable. And these are these are paintings and he's flipping through it. And I start talking about like uh color theory and uh, and I said, Man, I, I love this juxtaposition with these compliments that you're doing and and he kind of like looks up at me and he says well could you explain that and i guarantee and, uh, you he's just <laughs> fucking with you i guarantee yeah. you he has expert knowledge of color he was just trying to make you feel like no. he was like he was seriously. like grizzly adams like just working off of instinct no seriously speaking he didn't Really? Was just, oh, that's yeah. stunning. That's shocking to me. It, 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 he just feels his way through it, and uh, and 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 he was talking about like that in his drawing. He is just something. He just kind of like, ah, oh, you know, I, I try this color and that didn't work, so I tried this color and that didn't work, and I thought, eh, maybe it needs this color. And it's just like, you know, I was just oh. like, okay, I want to, I want to choke you out right now. <laughs> you know? Oh, that's no good. I met him for the first, I've, I've watched him draw once at a show in Chicago when I was like 17 or 18 at the big Chicago con. And then, uh, but I didn't actually meet him until last year at a little show in Kansas or it's a oh, big wow. show in Wichita or maybe two years ago. And um, it was so nice because I walked over, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of telling people how much they mean to you. And I think a lot of people think that I must be like suddenly getting sober or something because I suddenly tell them like how <laughs> how important they are to me or something, and it's like an AA thing. But uh, but but I, I was a huge fan of Al Williams and a huge fan of Corey Zafino, and they both asked before I could ever meet either of them. And I thought at this at that point I thought I'm never going to meet another artist that had an impact on me without without letting them know. That's and, actually really cool. And well, you're going to get it later, so. And um, so you can tell me if it's cool after that. But, uh, but so I, I went over to, to Kevin. He was sitting at the end of the aisle, and, and I took some copies of the Black Monday Murders, the first two trades that were going on. And, uh, and he knew who I was and, and, and started chatting. And at a certain point, he kind of embarrassed him. And in a kind of sort of slightly embarrassed kind of way, he asked me if I was related to Paul Coker, who is the great illustrator for Mad Magazine. And I said, I think I am, but... I think he's like a second uncle or like a, a twice removed something or other. But it was interesting because when I was getting into the business, I was like 17, 16, 17 when I first started drawing professionally. And, uh, and that's 30 years ago at this point. Everybody would say, oh, are you related to Paul Coker? And I didn't know. And, but it's a, it's a age thing. Like yeah. most people today don't know who Paul Coker is or know who, the, the, the Mad Magazine artist star or the Angelo Yeah, a lot of people today magazine. don't even know what Mad Magazine is. Yeah, or it just doesn't exist. Um, and so I was, I, I, was, I was like, I just got to tell you, like, uh, before I get into my whole spiel about how much I love your work, 
thank you for asking about Paul Coker because like I felt like people just forgotten about this stuff. But uh, we ended up having dinner and he was a funny, funny son of a bitch. Like Kevin Nolan not only was good at drawing, as good as he is at drawing and his whole like uh, just feeling his way through brilliant colors, whatever, he is a funny, funny son of a bitch. Oh, and just dry. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he has like, a John Cleese kind of thing about him where you just don't, ex and, but he has that draw, or he's the, you know, the Kansas thing happening, the Wichita thing, and you don't expect it, and he will just drop these zingers that you're like, oh, oh my, that's just like, I don't know, I, 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 was, I was enamored with the guy, so. And I, I think a complete outlier in how talented he is, and, and the, the guys that I always gravitate to, um, which you know, is why I'm a fan of your stuff, is when you look at the work and you could see consideration on the page. You know, it's, it's not just, oh, they just vomit the stuff out, but there's, there's some thought behind why this line was drawn, why that line was drawn, the design of that character, the design of that page. And, uh, and he's definitely one of those guys that like, you can really see like a ton of of thought on the page and everything that he does. Everything. I was drawing a scene today. It's, it's actually still up on my Cintiq right now, where I had to draw uh, like flagstones, like paving stones. And um, do you know the Dalgota store? Uh, the Prince. The oh yeah, of God. And I, I, I am trying to track that down. I, I had a hold of that a while back and it was one of those occasions where you go, oh my God, have you not seen that? Here, let me give you my copy. And it just vanished. Yes. I have certain <laughs> books that I've given away more copies than I'll ever, I think I'm responsible for a third of their print run because I just give them away. But that daughter, Daughters of Grimwood, right? Is that what it is? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, he drew these flagstones or pavers in that and to this, I, mean, I, I must have seen that for the first time 20 years ago. And to this day, every time I draw a fucking pavestone or a flagstone or whatever, I think, well, that's not as good as Kevin. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, it, it's just, it's frustrating. The scary thing about what he does is it's, it's so simple, but it's 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 simple to the outside observer. But if you know what he's doing, it is the most ridiculously. Yeah. Like, I was gonna say like it's simple in a reductive way. It's simple in a reductive. I boiled it down over years of of you know experimentation and experience to this. Like my you know Mignola or 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 even like your work. I mean, not to get too gushy all of a sudden, but like you're one of those weird strange creatures i look at your work yes and, and i'm not trying to be flip at all I, I look at your work and i literally cannot spot an influence and it drives me up the fucking wall because <laughs> no matter whose work i look at i can figure out some idea of where what they as a as a little kid was looking at or it's like being it's like being a native tracker and you can kind of go hmm exactly I and then you see like this here yeah exactly and then you're like oh this thing has six toes and three legs and it doesn't make any sense but it's amazing your work has done that to me from the first time i've seen it who are, i mean i heard you talk about uh Storanko in in the earlier episodes and stuff like that but 
I've never seen anybody who, who is able to keep influences closer to their chest than you. Like your, your work is so individual that I, it's, it's, it's upsetting to me. <laughs> I don't mean that in a bad way, but like, I, well, I think, like, I think it's, my work, it's, I look it's, at it's, it like, oh, it's, it's obvious who I like. But, yeah, but your but work, I, I have no idea. I come in, I come in from another direction. You know, it's, it's like most of, most of my influences are outside of, of comics. And uh, well, most of my art influences are outside of comics. Um, and, and I surprisingly, and, and it's kind of weird because you say that your journey into comics is uh, artistically comes from the, the big black and white books. And, uh, and I'm, the same, I'm the same way. I mean, a lot, of, a lot of the stuff, when I finally got into comics, it was a lot of the Master of Kung Fu, Daughters of the Dragon, uh, Vampirilla, a lot oh, of the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the giant size black and white stuff. And, uh, Beautiful stuff, yeah. Yeah, and, and those, those were my kind of secondary influences, but, uh, but the influences before those guys were a lot of the illustrators. My mom got like an encyclopedia salesman came by, <laughs> you know, and and she and managed to like sell her like you know this prescription thing of World Book Encyclopedia and uh, the Storybook Collection, along with the wooden cabinet for it. So a lot of the stuff that were were influenced on me drawing came from looking at a lot of the uh, illustrators in uh, in the uh, the storybook stuff. Let's well, naturally like I, I the only person I've ever thought, oh, I know Brian is a fan of Line Decker. It seems to me like you're a fan of Line Decker, but oh, yeah, not, yeah, yeah. Pro probably my biggest influence. That's the only person I've ever been able to say, okay, I think this is I, I think Brian is influenced by Line Decker. But beyond that, it's all a complete mystery. And and it's, well, it's and always been a question and, mark for me. Yeah, and and I gotta tell you, like I first came across your stuff, I think it was Nightfall. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, but I, I saw that and I was just like, oh, okay, because I, I split people up into two camps. There's the organic guys and then there's the graphic guys. <laughs> you know. Yeah, and, um, yeah. And you know, I was just like, okay, here's another here's another graphic guy. I must keep a keep an eye on this guy because you know he's he's someone from my tribe. It was just really kind of cool uh, watching your stuff and uh, and Jason Palmer. Yeah, um, Jay. Yeah. Yeah, he really got me more into your stuff, and uh, and he like actually had like a lot of images that were just sketches and drawings that you'd done, and uh, and when I saw that stuff, that's when I became a fan. I was just like, oh, okay, <laughs> you know, this guy's doing something something incredibly different. I knew back then that your storytelling didn't come from comics. Your, it was obvious to me that your storytelling came from from movies, and and to me, it, it there was a lot of like, just your shot selection wasn't that standard camera at five foot six filming the scene kind of thing. Three quarter top down, yeah. shots. Yeah. Well, thank you. I mean, the funny thing is that when I first started drawing for professionally, for I think it was DC, um, I was seventeen, I think. Ah, that's pretty young. Yeah, and, and it was a lot of like, hey, can you draw like Rob Liefeld or draw like Art Adams or draw like Jim Lee? And the answer, what well, honest answer was no. But the to to go back to Steranko, the, the the answer I gave them on a Friday was yes, and then I took Monday, Saturday, Sunday to try and learn how to draw like Rob Liefeld. 
<laughs> and I was, I did a horrible Art Adams. I mean, it was all just a bad Art Adams. And eventually when I was able to kind of transition more into trying to figure out what I do, as opposed to doing what other people were asking me to do, I looked around and I had seen, you know, Dave Johnson and Jay Pearson and, and your stuff and Adam, all the guys, Gene guys, Coley, all those guys. And, and I don't know if they're officially Gaijing guys or, or tertiary Gaijing guys, but there was a lot of these guys that were coming up at the time and they were like the, the best guys in the business at that point. As far as drawing comics, they were the very best looking pages I'd ever seen. And, uh, and this was like post image, you know, like post that the wave of Jim and Mark and Todd and all those guys kind of going off the mountain. Yeah, I think all of us were were kind of a throwback to some of the EC stuff. We were uh, a throwback to kind of some of the uh, the big book. Yeah, there's a lot more black on the page and not so much just line work with colors. Yeah, and and I I, I did a book called Gen Thirteen Max with um at, at Wildstorm and Adam was there at that time doing uh oh yeah yeah his Gen Thirteen bootleg or what I can't remember what, what issues he was doing and I would watch him draw and not just watch what be what ended up on the page but I'd watch what ended up in the garbage can and I would think I will never be able to draw as well as these guys like I will never draw a picture that is as obviously appealing as what Adam Hughes and Brian Stelfrey and Jay Pearson and these guys do because these like I would look at it at a picture by any of the three guys I just said, Adam, uh, you, or Jay Pearson. And I would think, oh, that's the way you should have drawn that. Like there was no, like, <laughs> there was no question as to whether or not I agreed or disagreed with something in, in composition or, or technique or execution or whatever. It was just like, that was the correct way to do that. And oh, dude, that was, that was every day at the studio, seriously. It was maddening. And so what I realized I didn't want to just like the Gen 13 Max book. A lot of people like that book that I did, but it's cute. Like it's clever. And I'm not using clever in a good way. It was good beside it, in spite of itself or whatever. <laughs> oh, and I mean, in the sense that like, I, I was just figuring it out. I didn't, I never had anybody to say, draw whatever, just draw the way you draw. You know, I, I was a big fan of, of like the French new wave stuff and the American new wave stuff that came on the heels of that. And I mean, the three directors I tell everybody you got to look at, if you want to learn how to tell a story, it's Hitchcock, it's David Lean, and Orson Welles. Oh, yeah, um, that's it. Nobody else matters because everybody is taking something from one of those three guys. And, and, and yeah, maybe yeah, those, you could say... Are, those are the prime numbers. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I thought, okay, I'm never going to draw a picture as just instantly gratifying as what you guys do because I just don't know how to do that. I still don't know how to do that. But... I can tell a story and I can tell a story in a way that I don't see anybody else doing right now. And if I just focus on telling a story and get rid of all the rest of it, the rest of it will eventually come along in its wake. Um, yeah. And that's what I did. I mean, I, I just basically did, I, I, I literally stopped looking at comics completely. I would still buy certain things. I just wouldn't look at them. <laughs> so I would buy all the Hellboys, but I wouldn't look at them unless I was had like a, a day off or a week off or something like that. Or I would buy like all the J.P. Leon stuff or 
all the Gaijin stuff or whatever, I would buy it, but I just wouldn't look at it. Let's take a moment to acknowledge John Paul Leon. Good Lord, man. His stuff, see, I had to completely ban his, I think I own everything he's done since the that Superman annual from 100 years ago. But I, I don't look at it because it's it's too... Oh, dude, it's, it's a black hole. It, it's it too is tempting. A, yeah, it, it, is, it is a black hole, and if you get anywhere near it, you'll be sucked in by it. Yeah, and for the next week, I'll be like, what the fuck is wrong with my drawing? <laughs> and I realize, oh, it's John Paul Leon's got in the works. I got to do some fumigating or something because his, <laughs> his work is so appealing and so it is everything I want my work to be. Um, but it's not my work, so I can like it more than I like. I mean, that's not the right. I'm not trying to sound self-deprecating here, but it's just yeah. it's too easy to look at his work and like just slide right into that. My that oh, I'm just going to do that, and and I can't do that. I do what I do. Um, yeah, <laughs> and he's a nice well, yeah. guy. If he was a dick, I would be. It'd be easy not to look at his work, but he's such a nice guy. <laughs> right? Yeah, he's real awesome. nice. <laughs> and he's humble, and he's and he's friendly, and he and he, he's complimentary. He's just yeah. like, he's just fucks it up for everybody. I'm not sure if I said this before, but uh, but like one of my favorite authors is uh, is Neil Stevenson, um, who uh, wrote uh, Diamond Age and Snow Crash and a couple of. Uh, other like really awesome books but uh I will check those just, out. I don't know. he has this character who who just got like his ass kicked and and he's on his motorcycle and he's driving and he's thinking to himself that like every guy thinks well I I could be the most supreme badass you know if I if I went to a monastery and studied <laughs> kung fu and and you know I could I could do that if I just kind of got rid of all my friends and you know you have this you harbor this dream of I could be the world's baddest badass but this guy said I no longer have that dream because I just met the guy who has that job and <laughs> <laughs> and I can't. So, so that dream is off the table for me now. Yeah, yeah. And, it's uh, the it's position and, has been filled. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's pretty much how it was when uh when I met Adam. You know, I was just like, oh, okay. So, so world's greatest artist. That's that's done. Uh, you know, let's, let's see what else what else I can do. <laughs> yeah, that and that's how I feel. I mean. I know very few people who are in the business as far as like, I don't hang out. I mean, I, I'm friends with a lot of people, but I don't hang out with anybody. And uh, at the time I lived in Northern California and I, I, I had a, I was a single parent. And, and so I would just sit there and be like, and look at the work that was coming out. And it was, it was almost, I was thinking about it earlier, kind of getting warmed up for this talk. And, uh, and I was thinking like, it was an actually incredibly pragmatic position to take because I could look at comic books. I, I detached myself because it had been so impersonal up to that point, as far as like, can you draw like Art Adams? Sure. Whatever. I can draw like, I can draw the worst Art Adams you can imagine, but if you pay me, that's great. And, and I was able to detach myself and say, I'm never going to be Kirby. I'm never going to be dot, 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 etc. Like there, I could say, okay, these are the things yeah. that are being done right now or have been done and to a degree that that I, I shouldn't even I shouldn't try 
this is a kung fu movie thing. I should I shouldn't try to fight you on your terms. Yeah. Um, like if you if, if this if you are the the scorpion style, then I got to figure out something that's gonna counter that. This is the dumbest thing conversation I've ever. No, 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 dude. Analogy. I'm a hundred. Yeah, I'm I'm a hundred percent with you on it, man. And so I had to figure out what can I do. And this is like ninety four, ninety five, ninety six, somewhere in there. Um, and there wasn't uh, aside from you guys and John Paul, there wasn't a lot of storytelling happening at that point. I, I mean, there was the odd bird here and there, but for the most part, it was very much about covers and splash pages and, and those those images. It trained cards. Yeah, and that stuff, yeah. And oh. I was able to look at the market and, and the history and say, if I want to work at Marvel Comics, um, I'm not going to be able to do... i got to figure out what I can do that will make me appealing to Marvel or make me appealing in general. Yeah. And that was storytelling. And because the storytelling, I felt, was the one place where I had something to say that hadn't been uh, said a bazillion times. I mean, it's been said a few hundred times, but it hasn't been said a bazillion times before and better. Um, and, I, and I talk to a lot of artists and, and that's always the transcendent moment. The, the transcendent moment seems to always be when you surrender the quest for how and you embrace the quest for why. Yeah, you know, that's a great way to put it, yeah. Yeah, where you, where you sit back and you just kind of go, well, why do I want to draw comics? Why do I want to? And I think the nice thing is, is j just that little thing, that little sh shift in perspective of, of why am I doing this? And you start going, well, I'm, the reason why I'm interested in comics is not because of the drawings. I didn't even realize they were drawings at first. The reason why I'm interested is the stories. So... Now let me have my art just be a vehicle for that. Yes, that is that is exactly right. Like people often ask me, it's it's almost an accusation, but they'll say like, "Oh, I notice." I I freely admit that my work is developed from being what it was in the very beginning to whatever it is now. They will ask me in almost an accusatory kind of way, like, "Oh, your style changed between Gen Thirteen Max and Gen Thirteen Bootleg, or between." Undying Love and, and Black Monday Murders or whatever. And I try to explain to them, and I had a guy who is actually a really accomplished artist that all of us know, and I'm not going to drop his name, say like, oh, I really wish you still drew like you drew on Gen 13 Max. This is just like a, this is like two years, I remember Bernie was in the running still against Hillary, so this is like whenever, three, four years ago. And yeah. I've known this guy for a hundred years, and I was stopped on my tracks and I was like dude I draw exactly the same I'm a little better now I think hopefully technically but like I don't force the story to to conform to what I do like I conform what I do to the story and if I'm drawing a story that is silly make-believe Max versus Tank Girl land I'm going to draw something inclined towards that if I'm yeah, drawing something that is completely dead serious upper echelon of the entire world um, yep. like black monday murders i'm gonna draw clean you know that's 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 my job as an illustrator if i just if i just do the same shit every day who the fuck wants that that's boring yeah, it's it's odd that you say that because that's kind of something that uh that i get 
I get into. I think there's a lot of, um, when I say artists, I, I mean like illustrators, I mean actors, I mean, you know, singers. Yeah, the arts. You know, what's really cool is there are some people with actors, there, there are stars, then there are actors. Yes. The example that I always use is like Sean Connery is a star. Yep. And it doesn't it doesn't matter what movie he's in, he's Sean Connery. And if you like Sean Connery, he's good in all the movies. But like Gary Oldman is an actor. Yes. Gary Oldman disappears and becomes whatever the role needs. There's a lot of artists that are uh that are like that. You know, there are some artists that are stars. That's how they're gonna draw. And it doesn't matter what book they're on, they're gonna draw that way. And if you like their stuff, and a lot of them are awesome then you know what you're gonna get every time. But there are other artists who are storytellers who basically sacrifice what their art for the story that they're telling. And uh, and yeah, and, and I, I think with your stuff, the evolution of your stuff is actually, you're becoming more and more efficient at the type of story that you want to tell. I'm gonna interject here. Uh, interject. From, from the guy that, that uh, observes this stuff i like to work with the storytellers and <laughs> for me and the kind of books that the, the 12 gauge does seeing the story be told by masters of the craft and watch those guys also evolve and move you know what they do to fit the story that's that's what is enticing to me and a lot of other guys that just you know guys and girls that, that read these books and just watch uh, the pages, look at the pages and see the story unfold yeah. and, and actually see it. And Tom, I mean, we talked about this um, not too long ago because you, you're one of the few guys that's done a couple of ride stories. And, and, and the ride, uh, for those of you that don't know, I mean, it's an anthology book, but it's basically a showcase for, for artists to do what they've always wanted to do. Like just stretch your wings, go crazy. And, and you talked, uh, we talked about your first ride story versus the one you did a few months back about how you took the ride as an opportunity to really evolve your, you know, your style and, and oh, yeah. figure out who you were, which was the ultimate compliment. I, I can't even imagine because like I, I hold you in the highest regard. And the fact that you said, you know, my opportunity to draw, write and draw a ride story basically put me on the path of the Black Monday murders, which is such yeah, a fascinating did. book. Yeah, I mean, I'm like, I'm in awe. Yeah, no, I'm just gonna say, but it, it kind of goes, boils back to when, way back when, it's almost 16 years ago, or it is 16 years ago, when I was sitting in a room at a, at a breakfast with Brian and Cully, Hamner, and uh, Doug Wagner and myself, I think the four of us had breakfast, and uh, talking about the ride. And we were saying, well, you know, should it be color? Should it be black and white? You know, and, and for me, I was thinking black and white is just a way to save a little bit of money. So we're trying to put this book together. And, and it's like, you know, black is a color. People forget that black is a color. Yeah. You know, and, and you can use it so well. And and you obviously are, are a master at that too. And I'm gonna segue now into, <laughs> <laughs> into your movie. And everybody, that is Mr. Tom Coker. He is the artist on Black Monday Murders. So we will have the second episode with Tom coming next week. Yeah, so in the next episode, we'll talk a lot more about Tom's film and, of course, more good comic book talk as well. But looking forward to seeing you guys next week. Thanks, everybody. Thanks.